Welcome to Book Me, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Today, author Andrea Gunraj. Do you believe in destiny? That two people can be fated to converge at the same place and time for a life-changing encounter? Whether you believe in it or not, a fiction writer can always engineer a way for that to happen, but usually to illuminate something about our humanity. Say, a 13-year-old child of immigrants from Guyana living in Toronto and the 60-year-old survivor of abuse in the home for colored children in Nova Scotia, who's a library assistant at the girls' school. Andrea Gunraj arranges this convergence in her latest novel, bringing together two women of different generations and backgrounds whose lives are haunted by the situation named in the title, The Lost Sister. Andrea, welcome to Book Me. Thank you for having me. I wouldn't be giving uh, too much away if I tell people that 13-year-old Alicia has lost her older sister, because you reveal this in the very first few pages. What happened? Well... From Alicia's perspective, she doesn't know. All she knows is that her and her sister had a big fight, and her sister uh, and her stormed away from each other. And now she's uh, come home, and her sister hasn't shown up at home. And this is a shock to everybody. This is a shock to Alicia herself, a a very uh, immature and quite sheltered young woman. Her family, her dad and mom, who themselves, you know, are, are quite insular and, and quite naive, and they, they live in their a little apartment together, and they don't really have very much contact with the rest of the world. So this is a real shock to them. And now uh, Alicia is then grappling with it, and really she grapples for the entire rest of the novel with what this means to lose a sister. Now, her parents are immigrants from Guyana, living in Toronto in Jane Finch. How much does that determine the way that people react to one another within the family? Well, you know, I think it's actually a really key thing. This particular family, when they left Guyana and they moved to this apartment, I think one of the things that's really clear with them is that they have very little desire, at least the parents, to get connected with community and with neighbors. Um, In a sense, they want to just live their little life. They see it as a process where they'll just be in this apartment for a little while. They'll gain the the funds and the means to buy their own house, and they don't want to make connections and roots. Uh, It's very different for Alicia and Diana as sisters because they uh, grew up in that neighborhood, in that Jane Finch area, one of the most diverse areas in Toronto. And it's really known for deep community and lots of community connection and involvement across lines. And these two sisters, uh, they can't resist in some ways the pull of the community. They make friends, they go to school. Um, So there's that difference between the parents and the kids. And of course, the kids are going to follow their parents and do what they say, but except this uh, situation happens that really kind of shakes up that sense of we're just here for a little while, don't even get too connected, don't get to know anybody, don't make friends, Um, we're going to move to our own house and then we'll deal with all those things later. You really see um, how place becomes a very important part of their experiences, but it's quite a different experience for them depending on what their intention is in that community. And so many of the parents' expectations had been placed on the lost sister, on Diana. 
That's correct. Yes. Um, you know, really, Diana is the oldest daughter. And uh, in many ways, um, I, I don't know if other uh, folks would say this with their, their children. Um, but my sense is often that that first child in many ways becomes the first love. For those parents and um, they very much find themselves this particular family finds themselves really putting all their energies and time to this older daughter and seeing how brilliant she is she's she's bright she's young she's got a lot of energy she's got a lot of interests and she makes them very proud this idea that she's the favored one in a sense not that they don't care about Alicia, but they do pin their hopes on her. So her getting lost is a huge blow to them, not just because they lose a daughter, but because they're really losing the heart of their identity. And Alicia grew up idolizing Diana, but now she carries this terrible burden of guilt for her sister's disappearance. But but leading up to that disappearance, what had really changed in that relationship between the two sisters? You know, what I find uh, is very common. A lot of people had told me that this is a, something that they experienced with their siblings, and I certainly didn't experience that as well with my sister. This idea of you're aligned when you're little, um, and if you're both little at the same time, even, even more so, and as you grow up, you might find yourself disaligned. You might find yourself developing at different stages, making different groups of friends, going into different schools or different grades and finding yourselves kind of with completely different interests. And being a sibling often means that as you go through different stages of life, you have to find each other in new ways again. And sometimes you do, and actually sometimes you don't. Sometimes you might find yourself, well, I have nothing in common with this person anymore. Um, And that really substantively changes your experience with them. In this particular case, you know, they were so young and they, they had that first disalignment. That's what they were grappling with. That's what Alicia was so pained by, that she looked up to her, she felt aligned with her. Um, their early days, you know, they, they really did have very similar interests and they were in a similar stage in life. But Diana was growing up and um, coming into her own and coming into a different state of being than Alicia. And Alicia found herself really disillusioned by that. And she didn't get the chance, unfortunately, to get to know her, her sibling in a new way before they really got that disalignment. And in this particular case, the disalignment really is just a girl growing up, getting interested in boys getting interested in um, friends and, uh, you know, wanting to go to high school, wanting to forget what it was like to be in a grade school, wanting to grow and wanting to be a teenager, wanting to find her own, not wanting to be around her family as much anymore. It was nothing wrong that anybody did, but certainly it's just that natural break that happened between them. And unfortunately, that break became somewhat more serious than it does for other families. Now, tell us about the other character who also has a lost sister. Yeah, um, my story is really between two main stories. The other story of sisters is with uh, Paula and Ave, and these two young women uh, were taken from their homes um, at a very early age. They lived in Nova Scotia, 
1938, I believe their story starts. Right. And they had to leave their family home because they were taken by child protection to go to live in an orphanage called the Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children. And as folks in, in Nova Scotia will be well aware, that was a real institution that um, young people were taking from their family, often because of poverty, often because just their families didn't have the means to take care of them in the ways that people felt they could. And that's kind of punishing people for poverty as opposed to helping them, unfortunately. And going into this institution, which had its um, its need, because uh, many of these institutions, they were geared towards white children and wouldn't accept black children. Um, but in this particular case, um, it was a very difficult place to live for people who went through there and uh, have survived a lot of violence, um, a lot of um, hunger and deprivation. So this is the story of Paula and uh, Ave as well, and them growing up in this very difficult place and also finding themselves at odds, probably mostly due to the trauma that they experienced here. You live in Ontario, but you created Paula, who, as you say, grew up in Nova Scotia in the home for, for colored children. But tell us about Garnet Smith, the person who inspired you to do this and to create this character. Well, Garnet um, was a dear friend of mine. Uh, I knew him my whole life. He was born in 1938, so no coincidence there. He lived uh, in Nova Scotia, and he did live and grow up in the Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children. He was there for about 14 years in his young life, him and his siblings. And Garnet Smith, he was um, a great friend of myself and my family and uh, a friend to many of my friends. I went to the same church for many years, and uh, he was a staple in our community that I grew up in. I grew up in Rexdale, which is not Jane and Finch, um, but has its similarities to Jane and Finch in terms of being a very community-involved place, being a a place where a lot of immigrant families establish themselves, um, a lot of community connections in schools uh, were made, uh, certainly for me and in my neighborhood. So there's a lot of similarities, I think, in the stories, both stories. And uh, Garnet shared his experience growing up um, in the Nova Scotia home. He was part of a group that was looking for justice um, later on in life called Voices the Victims of Institutional Child Exploitation Society. And um, him and that group, they had a lot of uh, work ahead of them to um, to find justice and uh, have their stories told and heard. Garnet was very open with his story with with me, and he shared all these news clippings and all these um, kind of writings of what he went through, all the legal documents that he collected. Um, in the case and trying to um, get his survivorship recognized in this home. Um, So it was really wonderful to get in touch with that um, history. And he really encouraged me. He knew I was a writer. He knew I loved writing. And he um, said, you know, why don't you write about this? Why don't you write about me? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. Thank you for the opportunity. But I don't want to write your story directly because he was so open about it. I felt like he told it so well. And I didn't want to at all co-opt that or replace that with anything. I don't, I don't think I even could. So for me, it was important to look at his story, listen to him, fictionalize pieces of it. And that's where the character uh, Paula came from. And of course, Ave was a sibling in that home. And I know that Garnet had more than one sibling in that home that he had to go through all these things with. Um, it was a real 
opportunity and a blessing that he asked me and I was really just frankly honored to be able to speak to this history and do something right by him. And also due to the activism of Garnet Smith and many others, there was a public inquiry into the Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children. Correct. Um, I believe that they had to fight for over 20 years to get to that place. Um, So it was really difficult for them and I am just so mindful of the emotional burden Uh, the mental burden, the toil that they went through. Um, They had to fight too hard for justice. It shouldn't be like that. I mean, what happened to them shouldn't have happened. But for them to have to fight so long to tell their stories um, and get that recognized and get an apology from the government of Nova Scotia for what happened to them, um, that was quite a feat. And at the same time, I just wish it didn't have to be like that, that it didn't have to be such a fight. And now my understanding is Voices is really pushing forward with a lot of um, recommendations and reform around the Child Welfare Society, the Child Protection um, Authorities in Nova Scotia. And if done right, this could be a good model for how child protection needs to be more family-oriented and support the root causes as opposed to punish people for experiencing things like poverty and things like vulnerability. Now, we've talked about the the two sisters who have missing sisters, but there's another pair of sisters who emerge as major characters, but they're not physically separated, Uh, Alicia's mother, B, and her sister, Julia, who also lives in the same town and, for a while, lives in the same house after the disappearance of Diana. How did they, women of that generation, add texture to your story? Well, that was a really interesting third set of sisters, as you mentioned. Um, I didn't necessarily set out uh, with that intention that there's going to be kind of a third echoing sister relationship, but it it turned out that way, that um, I think that they were an example of quite a a healthy sisterhood, though they had their challenges, though they had their secrets from one another and their pains against one another. um, I think that they uh, demonstrated a, a contrast of how sisters maybe are connected and um, maybe have no choice but to be connected. And uh, this is a question that I think the book does pose in in more than one way. Um, Do sisters live always in contrast to each other? And the the book posits, yes, um, that they do. And it looks different and it might feel different for different sisters, but there's always going to be a sense of comparing and contrasting. Um, So yeah, B B and Julie really had that um, very aligned connection, but even in their aligned state, they also had their dynamics of old sister and and more powerful sister, and sister who uh, is a little in the shadows and maybe feeling a little marginalized, Um, but they do come together and stay together regardless of their pains and their competitions. Um, So it was real joy to be able to show that kind of a sisterhood. Um, Not the same kind of break between them, different kinds of breaks, but they still stay alone. Both Alicia and Paula have committed acts of betrayal against their sisters. And it struck me that there's a parallel with the notion of sin and the struggle for redemption almost. That concept is absolutely worked in, this idea of you did something horribly wrong, maybe even terminally wrong, and you betrayed your closest connection, the one that you meant not to betray, the one you meant to actually help and you meant to be close to, but circumstances and your own attitudes um, got in the way, your own traumas got in the way, 
And, you know, with Alicia and Diana, they do it in such a young, immature way. It's really hard to fault what's going on between them. It's, I think it's part of um, normal development. But even in that normal development, there's something to atone for. There's something to do better by um, that Alicia learns along the way. And with Paula and Ave, again, um, nobody could blame them for what they went through and how their trauma kind of pulled them apart. Um, how all the things that happened to them and them working through just an impossible situation in this in this um, orphanage, the impossible violence and, and pain that they experienced there. Nobody would blame them, but they certainly, again, had something to do right by um, in the process. And I thought that's really important to show that even though circumstances are what they are, you can still behave in better ways. You can always have agency in some way, shape, and form and find the way that you want to be. I think that's really important. So they have to learn what that looks like for them. And it's going to be harder and easier for different people, depending on their circumstances. But we all go through that. And we all have to find that sense of doing better and feeling better and finding peace where peace may or may not actually easily come to you. Just finally, uh, Andrea, every author writes over a certain period of time. And in your case, it was about a decade for this book. What did it feel like to see so many of the vignettes in in The Lost Sister become headline news, you know, race relations, the quality of police work, the way economic vulnerability grinds away at the spirit? What what was that like? Well, you know, it's so interesting because those issues, when I was writing them and when the book was getting printed and promoted, these things were not necessarily top of mind in the media, but they're definitely top of mind for a lot of people in a lot of communities. And certainly me, I've always thought about um, these issues over the last, oh, you know, 20 years working in community-based settings, doing work um, on things like um, sexual assault prevention and intervention, things like um, homelessness and housing and supporting young people who may not have other supports. So those things were always top of mind. And I just am really cognizant of the fact that people have showed us how we are living in pandemic time, but there are pandemics within the pandemic that have been there for forever. And certainly things related to this book, things like police accountability and lack thereof, law enforcement and institutional racism, anti-black racism in particular, the way girls are treated. Um, sexism and how that leads to gender-based violence like sexual assault. And really, I think all these things were bubbling for forever. They were top of my mind for a long time. So it wasn't necessarily a shock. It wasn't um, at all a surprise, but it was a sense of, well, I'm glad that um, things are coming together in terms of people's awareness of these issues that have always been there. So yeah, it it felt... um, It felt sad in some ways, but it felt good in other ways, because at least the visibility is there, and I think visibility is just necessary. Certainly, on the day of my book launch was the same day that the inquiry for the Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children, uh, a report was released, a big report was released on that, and that was strange for it to come together on the same day, and quite wonderful because I was able to say, read these two things, read this book and read this report. Uh, we need to understand what people went through so we don't repeat that history again. Andrea, thank you very much for speaking with me on Book Me. Thank you very much for having me. Andrea Gunraj is the author of The Lost Sister. It's published by Nimbus. 
If you enjoyed today's conversation with Andrea, we have dozens more with the people who create books in Atlantic Canada. Get to know more about them, their work, and their inspirations. They're all on bookmepodcast.ca. Whenever we add a new interview, we post an alert on our Instagram account. I'll bet you guessed it already. It's at bookmepodcast. And tell everyone you know who's a reader and might appreciate our humble podcast. If you'd like to comment on any of the conversations like today's with Andrea Gunraj, our email address is info at bookmepodcast.ca. And something special, if you're in the Lunenburg County area, our podcasts are broadcast every evening, all year round, just before sign-off around 9 o'clock on the nonprofit radio station CHLU 93.7 FM. Book Me is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. Our producer is Robin Grant. And Laura Hines is our digital sister. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Now, let's go read. <laughs>